Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. Hey, Jennifer, thanks for joining us today. Tara, thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Of course. You know, I think, you know, I deal with a lot of really unique um, farms. And um, the last one I interviewed was was a bug farm. And that was really unique. And <laughs> I'm super excited to, to talk to you because you do something really unique, too. So it would be great if we started just by having you introduce yourself and your farm. Thanks. Um, I hope I can live up to the bug farm. <laughs> I know. It was really super fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm Jennifer Bloser. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Oregon Coast Wasabi. Uh, we've been in business since 2010, so 11 years. We grow real wasabi, um, wasabi japonica, and that's all we grow. We get that question a lot. What do we grow? We're Oregon Coast yeah. Wasabi. And I say all wasabi all the time. Um, we also... So we, we grow the wasabi and we sell the fresh product. So various parts of the plant we sell fresh to restaurants and, um, you know, uh, grocery stores, food distributors, also direct to people retail through our website. We also sell plant starts. Uh, so we have two parts to the business. We have a culinary part to the business and we have a horticulture part to the business, a gardening part. And so we sell plant starts to gardeners, which is really fun. And then um, on the culinary side, we also have shelf-stable products. We have seasoning salts and cocktail rim salt and um, wasabi powder. Right. So um, wasabi is – so I don't know if you've watched this. So this Clarkson's Farm is um, – is a British show that is really funny and worth watching um, because it's hosted by somebody who used to host this like car racing show that, yeah, there's a whole thing about that. But this person um, who used to host that car racing show ended up buying a thousand acres in the Cotswolds and the, the Clarkson farm follows him on his journey to becoming a farmer, which is hysterically funny. And one of the things that he does is plant wasabi plants in this little, in the woods by this Creek that was going through his, um, his farm. So, um, so what I'm bringing that up because it seems like wasabi has, has, you know, some pretty unique um, environmental requirements, right, for growing it. Yeah, it does. Um, it uh, so wasabi is a brassica. It's in the same family as horseradish, um, huh. and also cauliflower and broccoli and cabbage. Um, but unlike those plants, it is actually a shade plant. So it um, and and it's a um, it's a shade plant, and like horseradish, it's a perennial. And so it doesn't like direct sun. It also likes uh, really cool conditions. So uh, people tend to think, I have a lot of conversations with our gardeners about this, that um, people, we've sort of been acclimated to thinking about growing food in sun and, um, and warmth. So, you know, we plant in the spring when things start to warm up and then we get, you know, crops over the summer tomatoes and things like that. Well, wasabi is kind of the opposite. It really likes shade. Its uh, native habitat is stream beds underneath the canopy. So um, shade, year-round shade and cool conditions. Ideally, you know, under 70, around, under 75 degrees would be optimal above freezing. It's a perennial. Mm-hmm. It doesn't ever go dormant, so it can't actually freeze. It can't really withstand hard freezes. And um, it also grows, we get the question a lot about compared to um, horseradish, is it going to take over my yard? And it, it's actually a really slow growing plant. So it doesn't, it's not invasive in that way at all. And, um, but it will take you a lot longer to get a wasabi rhizome than it would to get a, um, a, a horseradish rhizome. 
Interesting. So, so when you sell, so you're, you are on the West coast, right? We are. Yep. We are. We're on the coast of Oregon near Tillamook, which is sort of the largest, closest town. Right. So what is your climate like there? So we have, um, for the most part, you know, we've been experiencing some warmer temperatures. Yeah. This year, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous, but climate change is an interesting thing. Um, and, but for the most part we have, uh, we're, we're, um, impacted by the Pacific ocean. So we have cooler, wetter summers than you would on the East coast. And we have, um, warmer, also wet winters. So we don't really get below freezing very much. Um, Mm -hmm. and we don't often get above like the mid seventies on the coast. And if, uh, on a, no- a sort of normal summer, we also have a good fog layer that comes in. Anytime that the temperatures are higher in the valley, you know, away from the coast, it pulls in a marine layer because the Pacific Ocean stays really cool over the summer. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, that, that influence from the Pacific is what actually keeps everything really nice and cool on the coast. Got it. Yeah. So that creates this pretty unique um, climate for raising wasabi turns out right it does and that's actually why we decided to um be out there my mm-hmm. husband and i live in portland in the willamette valley and the willamette mm-hmm. valley gets hot in the summertime hot has hot and dry summers and it can get um below freezing in the wintertime so the climate you could grow wasabi in the valley but the inputs that you would need in terms of climate control would be much higher than what mm-hmm. we do on the coast yeah. 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 So, um, so do you grow indoors or outdoors? We grow in greenhouses. Okay. We grow in greenhouses and we, we've been really, really low tech. <laughs> so we don't uh-huh. do, um, really any climate control. We don't have lights. Um, we have fans, we have, um, what we call emergency heaters, uh, because we only hit, we only heat the greenhouses if, it's going to go kind of, my cutoff basically is like 28 degrees. So if it's going to get oh, below okay. 28 degrees, sort of in the middle of the night, then we'll turn on the, the emergency heaters. But other than that, we're, we're really low tech in terms of climate control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so if I were to buy plant start from you, um, how long would it take to get a mature rhizome? It takes Uh, you know, anywhere from like 18 to 24 months for the plant Mm. to develop a good sized rhizome, they'll start to develop the rhizome within a few months, and it'll be really small. The the, Mm. one of the nice things about wasabi is that there's really no ripeness time. So the flavor of the small rhizomes are the same as the larger rhizomes. So if you wanted to harvest a really small rhizome, you could do that probably in less than 12 months from your plant. Um, from planting. If you want a, you know, a slightly larger rhizome and you also want your plant to develop some offshoots that you can replant, then it's best to wait, you know, 18 months or so. But in the meantime, um, the whole plant is edible. So in the meantime, we encourage people to harvest the leaves and the leaf stalks and eat those as well, raw Hmm. or cooked in various ways. So uh, do, what do the leaves taste like? Do they taste like wasabi? They do. They have a, it's not overwhelming. And the way wasabi, uh, the spice of wasabi works, it, it'll come in sort of at the end of um, you eating the leaf because hmm. what needs to happen, it's the same spice chemicals that mustard has. And what happens mm. is those chemicals um, are basically inert when the plant is just sitting around. Um, you know, so if you just took a wasabi rhizome, which looks a little bit like a green carrot, and if you just bit a piece off of it, you're not going to get that overwhelming, um, head rush that you people are used to with wasabi. And that's because it takes the cells need to be broken open in order for the chemicals to mix in order to create the spiciness, the heat of it. And it Mm. is water soluble. Um, unlike a pepper, which is a, which is an oil. So, um, that's why you get the rush and it goes away. So if you eat, you'll eat the leaf and you'll chew on it. And then towards the end, 
Um, and oftentimes after people swallow, they'll get that sort of tingling spiciness sort of in mm. the back of their throat. And it's really just the chemical starting to react and it reacts with our mucous membranes because it's, and it's water soluble. So then, you know, you have a reaction and then your body flushes it out. And then that's why, you know, the head rush goes away when you eat yeah. wasabi. So it's, there's the leaves when they're raw, they have a, a spiciness, kind of like a mustard green or a radish, um, green to it. Uh, if you cook them, the, all of the spiciness goes away, but they have a really nice flavor, kind of like a kale or a chard. Um, one of my favorite parts of the plant is actually the juice from the leaf stalks. And, um, that has a lot of spice to it. It's, it's beautiful green. And it also has a, um, sort of a sweetness to it as well. So you get this like really spicy, sweet juice that you can use in dressings or cocktails or, you know, all sorts of things. Wow. So, so if you plant, um, a wasabi plant, you can be harvesting leaves and stalks and getting some of this juice and the rhizome will just keep developing. Is yes. That, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the offshoots for replanting. So if you wanted to propagate from it, how do, how does that work? So the plants produce offshoots um, kind of like people are often familiar with spider plants. You know, we have them as house plants. Oh, sure. So they kind of, wasabi doesn't produce them necessarily on long stalks like the spider plants do, but they produce offshoots in that way. And um, they just, they break off. You can break them off really easily. So what usually people will, and we have videos of this. We have actually, I made a bunch of videos this year. So we have a video that shows people how to do this. And you basically would just, um, pull up the plant and, you know, sort of shake the dirt off and you'll be able to see where the offshoots are attached to the main plant. And they just kind of break off really, really easily. And, um, they can have a little bit of root or no root and they'll start, you know, rooting themselves. And you just, you can just transplant them directly into new, some new soil and they'll Hmm. grow really well. Interesting. That's so cool. So, um, do they start, do they have to be like a year old before they start doing that or? No, some of them can start to produce, um, offshoots within a few months. It's, um, yeah, it's really just, and I haven't quite figured out what is the catalyst behind that. Um, why some of them seem to do it sooner than others, but anyway, yeah, some of them will do it almost right away and you can see it, it with young, the young plants, you can sometimes, because the young plants haven't taken up all the space in the pot yet. So you can see sometimes where a new, a new offshoot is coming up because there'll be a new set of little tiny leaves coming up through the dirt side. Yeah. Interesting. So if, if this was sort of, I guess it's a native somewhere, is it a native plant somewhere? Uh, Yeah. It's native to Japan. To Japan. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if we're, if we're in its native setting, it's probably spreading then. Um, like, you know, I actually haven't seen any images or heard of any uh, naturalized areas of wasabi where it spreads. Um, hmm. it, I'm sure there are. Uh, I'm sure there are. It, in Japan, um, a, a lot of the wasabi farms are terraced stream beds, and um, they're obviously they're really well maintained. And, and yeah. there are some that are in the forest, but I think the plant um, is so highly valued. And I don't, and I don't even mean just monetarily, but, you know, culturally that I, I think that there's just, there's not a lot of, um, there's just not a lot of it growing wild. Right, right. That makes sense. So, so in Japan, they grow them in ter- on terraces. Yeah. And I would highly encourage people listening to your podcast to go on like YouTube and, and, or just online and look for, uh, you know, a Japanese wasabi farm. Cause there's, there are some videos and they're really beautiful. If you sort of picture, oh, I bet. yeah, like the, it's similar to what people with, uh, sort of in Spain and, and Italy, what they do with the, with the olives, um, where they terrace, where the olives are growing. It's, it's really just like that. It's just in a stream bed and they're done by hand. Um, and they're just really beautiful. They're just really, really beautiful, but we wouldn't, you know, we don't do that. We don't, um, 
we, we have protective measures in the United States where we don't grow things in stream beds like that. So, right, so we do right. it. Um, we mimic it with some gravel in the greenhouses. Right, right. That makes sense. Yeah, no. I, and it's probably, I, I mean, I don't know, but it's such a, there's so much ritual to Japanese food and plants and everything that I would imagine there's a whole level of that around wasabi in Japan. Um, yeah, it's, I can't speak to a lot of the um, rituals, but it, it has been around, used in the Japanese culture for thousands of years. At one point, you were able to pay your taxes with wasabi. Um, hmm. It's been a highly valued plant for its um, flavor, but also for its medicinal uses. One of the first uses of wasabi was to help protect against food poisoning when eating raw fish, because some sushi was um, fermented, and you can imagine that you know oh, yeah. bacteria could. There's an opportunity there. Um, so wasabi has tremendous antibacterial properties, and it was also eaten as an uh, to protect against par- against parasites huh. uh, because of you know parasites found in fish. And so right. I don't know who actually discovered that, but so it was eaten as a sort of a protective measure. It also has anti-inflammatory properties and um, has been used in treatments against various cancers. So it has a whole. Um, it has a whole life outside of the culinary world. Wow. I had no idea how it got started. Yeah. That's how using wasabi got started. And it's so interesting, right? Because you eat sushi and you eat wasabi with your sushi. It's sort of like there's this functional reason why that might not just a flavor reason. It's interesting, right? right? Yeah, it is interesting. It is. Wow. Wow. Who knew all that? Okay. So it is, um, it sounds like it needs a pretty specialized um, growing environment. Um, so m- us in the Midwest, it would be, yeah, we would have to do it indoors. We'd have to have heating. We'd have to have water. Like there'd be a lot we would need to do in order to grow wasabi out here. Well, you know, interestingly, so if you want to grow wasabi at a large scale, you need mm-hmm. to have the infrastructure to do that. But right. if you want to just grow a couple of plants in your house or in your backyard. It, it's a funny plant. It has this reputation of being really, really difficult to grow, but mm-hmm. it also has just a few very specific requirements. And there's, they're not, like I said, they're not necessarily in alignment with, with what people expect in terms of a food plant. And so if you follow those requirements, it actually does really well. And we have a number of customers in the Midwest who grow the plants inside. Um, huh. And, and actually we, we have not just the Midwest, but like in the areas where it gets, so in Florida where it's really hot, um, right. Or, um, like Arizona or Nevada where it gets really, really hot. We recommend growing it in pots and bringing it inside in the summertime. So if you, if you put it in a pot, um, it, it really likes well-drained soil. Um, so well-drained soil, not, uh, direct sun, and um, not overwatered. I think one of the things that people misunderstand about wasabi is they see the, the videos of where it's grown in Japan mm-hmm. in the stream beds and they think, oh, this is an aquatic plant, but it's actually not. So if you have a situation where you can have highly oxygenated water, you know, then you could put your plant in some shallow gravel in some very shallow water as long as it's moving and highly oxygenated. But because wasabi isn't actually... Uh, an aquatic plant, you can't, it doesn't like to have its feet wet. It doesn't like to sit in water. Mm. Um, and so oftentimes what happens is people overwater the plants. And so it's much better if, um, you let the surface of the soil dry out a little bit, it helps prevent, um, you know, fungal pathogens or bacterial pathogens. And it just, it helps the plants because they'll tolerate a lot of water as long as it's super highly oxygenated, but if you get into a pot situation and you're overwatering it, there's not going to be as much oxygen in the pot. So anyway, right. they do really well in pots. Hmm. And, um, and we've had yeah, a number of customers who live where it gets really cold or where it gets really hot who are growing their plants inside. Interesting. So you ship plants, apparently. We do. Yep. Yep. We ship all over the country, all of our products. That's so cool. 
So I can order a wasabi plant. That's you can. awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can. That's so awesome. All right. So your, your shippy plants um, and uh, one wasabi plant, I mean, how big does that root get? So, you know, if you let it grow for, you know, 18 or 24 months or longer, you can get a rhizome on it. And the rhizome and wasabi is a funny thing in that, what you're getting, the part of the plant that you actually gets grated, that's called the rhizome that gets grated into the paste that people mm-hmm. are familiar with in terms of sushi is actually the stalk of the plant. Um, hmm. It is um, kind of like I tell people, imagine a broccoli plant and that stalk of the broccoli plant is actually the same area of the plant where the quote unquote rhizome develops. So it's not really a rhizome. It's not the root of the plant. The plant has true roots that are, Mm -hmm. you know, white and fibrous, like, you know, people would expect. Um, And those, those uh, rhizomes can weigh, you know, depending on when you harvest it, a quarter pound or a half pound, or even be known, you know, known to a really, really big one could be up to a pound. Um, And normally when your rhizome is um, getting larger, your plant will the main rhizome when the central rhizome is getting larger your plant will have produced offshoots at that point and the offshoots will also have probably have some small rhizomes on them as well and so altogether we usually harvest our plants at about 15 months or so and um at that point they're probably about um 24 to 36 inches tall and you know they might have even like a similar um diameter in terms of the spread of the leaves and the leaves can get, you know, they can get, uh, to be eight or even maybe 10 inches large when the plants are older. Hmm. So it's, a, it's, we've actually had people purchase the plants as landscaping because they're really beautiful. They have heart shaped leaves and wow. they live a long time. I mean, they've lit the, there's some documentation of plants living in excess of 10 years and that's really when the, they probably, they live longer than that, but that's basically when the study stops. So, um, you know, your huh. main plant can easily live that long, but then you'll also have all these offshoots and you can be transplanting those along the way. Wow. This is a whole world. So how long have you been growing wasabi? 11 years. So it, I, I would gather that your business has expanded a lot because of just the natural cadence of this right yeah we've been really lucky I think we decided to take on this this interesting challenge of this adventure at a time when um you know people have become adventurous about food and Mm -hmm. and also um we also when people started to realize that a lot of the wasabi that's has been sold on the market um and then even at sushi restaurants is most of it doesn't actually have any real wasabi in it. It's mostly horseradish and mustard and some colorings. Um, hmm. And so people have also been interested in that. And I, and the other product is, it's not an inferior product. It's just different. And um, in, in Japan, it's sort of viewed that way as well. It's sort of viewed like, well, you know, what we would call, what in the U.S. they, they now call like the fake paste. It's sort of just one type of um, wasabi paste. And then there's the real wasabi. So, um, but people were learning about that too. And so, and yeah, I think it, our business has definitely grown. It's been a very interesting experience. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you identified this market opportunity and you realized it was going to you know, I, I mean, how many people grow commercially grow wasabi in the United States? Um, there's really, there's really only three of us. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's really only three of us. And the rest is all imported. Yes, and you can import wasabi into the United States from Japan, um, and also from British, from not just British Columbia. It's grown in British Columbia, but from Canada. Those are the two places where you're allowed to import from so Mm. uh there is some available there's not a lot available and so most people aren't actually familiar with real wasabi um 
and also to my knowledge, the wasabi leaves are never imported. They actually have a fairly long shelf life, kind of like kale does, <clears throat> but they are leaves and they're more fragile sure. than the rhizome. So <clears throat> there, most people have never seen a wasabi leaf or an actual yeah. wasabi plant because the plants, uh, the rhizomes are fully trimmed for, um, as an, uh, import requirement. So, um, yeah, people aren't actually familiar with the plants. Interesting. So, so, um, so did you have trouble like educating people about the difference between real wasabi and the horseradish, you know, green dye version? Yeah, there were two, (laughs) there are two things about that. One is, um, people have tend to have a fairly strong reaction, have had a fairly strong reaction when we, when we tell them that there's a difference because they feel like they've been tricked and that's not Mm -hmm. ever our intention. Um, and I don't think that there really was an intent to trick people. I think it's just, um, how the use of wasabi has evolved in the world over time. So, um, but we, since we've gotten started more and more people actually do know about the difference between real wasabi and then, um, the paste Mm -hmm. that doesn't have any wasabi in it and have been searching out the real thing. So uh, we, and, and when given the opportunity to, um, you know, I've given lectures and things like that and at garden stores and events and things. And it's always really fun to show people what the plants look like and the different uses. And um, we've, it's been a great, there's, we've had a really great response in that way of people who are just interested in learning about it. Oh, I bet. I bet. And, and the medicinal, I mean, one would assume that medicinal properties of wasabi don't translate to horseradish, right? Not that I know of. Um, yeah. I haven't really seen any research where they're trying to utilize some of the, um, basic chemicals in horseradish the same way Mm -hmm. they are with wasabi. And just as a funny aside, um, a few years ago, we were contacted by a gentleman who wanted to buy, and just this was just a private person who wanted to buy, like I think he wanted like twenty pounds or thirty pounds of wasabi leaves, and um, we don't have that when, in the way our website structured that we sell them by the pound. So on the website, mm-hmm. so he called, contacted me directly, and I said I'm happy to sell them to you, but do you mind? Because I'm always interested in what people are using them for. I said, do you mind? Um, telling me what you're using them for. And he said, oh, don't you know, you're going <laughs> to be rich. And I said, really? I didn't know that. And he said, yeah, haven't you seen the articles that wasabi grows hair better than Rogaine? Oh, no. And I said, no, I have not. And um, I said, well, what are you going to do with it? And he said, right. well, I'm going to I'm going to um, grind it up in my blender and put it on my head. please don't I said I'm really not gonna recommend doing that I said look I'm happy to sell you leaves first of all why don't I sell you a couple pounds and then you try it and then if you want more I'm happy to send you more but you know um and I and I said please like put it (laughs) put it in your forearm or something first like just you know it's not a toxic plant and it is used it has been used for a long time in spa products um Uh uh-huh but I'm like yeah, for obvious reasons, don't just stick it on your head. So, uh, and then I asked him to please let me know if he did that. And so I did hear back from him several months later, and he said that he said that he thought some baby hairs were growing, but his age spots were definitely going away. <laughs> oh God, how funny! <laughs> that was the so um, we never. You know, obviously, we we never put anything like that up on our website or anything like that. I did find the article, but I wasn't able to trace trace it back to any actual hard science, right um, behind it. So, but people do take it for allergies because it has anti-inflammatory properties. Oh, sure, yeah, um, and mostly freeze-dried wasabi capsules. There's also been some studies on the use of wasabi for um, irritable bowel disease. And Ah. so some people take it in um, specialized capsules that allow the wasabi to get down into the lower digestive tract and and, uh, the anti-inflammatory properties can be effective there too, apparently. Um, So yeah, it has an, it's a very interesting plant. It has a a huge array of um, 
uses. Yeah, and I I suspect the Japanese, you know, the traditional medicine folks in Japan probably have a whole bunch of other applications for it. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, these amazing plants, right? So, all right. So you started, when do you started this business? Like, did you just sell locally or how did you, how did you go to market in the beginning? Um, in the beginning, we actually were working with someone who had some connections um, to the wholesale food distribution market. So we actually started by selling wholesale to food distributors. Hmm. Um, and then that relationship didn't work out. And, um, we went, we went off on our own. And at that point we actually developed the sort of infrastructure and, you know, the website to allow people, um, basically our, basically as our retail storefront. And so that's at, at that point we started selling to the general public. It's really interesting because you, uh, I don't know, in this sort of local food movement, since it's happened, people tend to do the opposite, right? Like they, they say, oh, I'm going to start farming, what it, growing whatever it is. And the first thing they do is take it to a farmer's market, you know, instead of going wholesale. Right. It's just interesting, right? Yeah. And we, we, did, we did do the exact opposite. And we have participated in um, plant sales, like horticulture shows. Oh, sure. Um, but we really haven't participated in farmer's markets and not because they're not valuable, but because... Um, not as many people want to buy wasabi as want to buy like tomatoes or you know right. cucumbers or stuff like that. So um, for us, we needed a much wider audience in order for the business to really survive and thrive. Right. Then, yeah, right. No, that makes total sense. So it's definitely a a niche market if you want to use the marketing term. So. You, when did you start selling online? Because it sounds like it was you've been selling online for quite some time. Yeah, I think we started selling online in like, I want to say like 2013 or 14. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So what was it like when you started selling online? Scary. <laughs> it, yeah. was actually, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was really scary because, um, for one thing, we had to figure out the shipping and shipping has been one of the most stressful aspects of this, of the business and not just this. Oh, business. I'm in, sure. In talking with, um, other food producers and just other people who, with businesses who ship that just shipping has been like, there have been days where my stress level related to shipping has been greater than any other experience of my life. <laughs> right. Oh, um, it's been interesting. So making sure that we had, we understood, so getting good shipping rates and um, making sure we understood the, the best way to ship, you know, way meaning like, does everything need to be go express or two day or in what, mm-hmm. um, what shipping um, agent are we using? And, and then the materials and, are the materials effective enough? Like, are they keeping things cold enough, but not too cold? And all that has taken a while. And, and so making sure that people were getting the product that in the highest quality condition, uh, was, it was really scary just to make, you know, just to not make mistakes in that, in that whole pathway there. Yeah, no, I can imagine. And you're selling, and you're shipping plants too. So I don't, I, I'm trying to think, I don't think I know anybody else who ships plants. We ship them bare root and that has actually helped a lot. So, um, and we, and, and that the plant thing was a, re- a result of, <laughs> and I know people tell you this in business, but you know, it took, I guess I'm a slow learner. It took me a while to figure this out. We, I, we started selling plant starts just because our customers were asking for them and they were right. asking for them for quite a long time. And finally I just gave, gave up. I just uh-huh. gave in and said, okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we ship them the way we plant them. And so we plant them bare root and they ship really okay. well that way for us. You okay. couldn't ship every plant that way, but, um, it's, it's really made that possible. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I've I I mean I have ordered fruit trees and gotten them delivered to my house, you know, shipped mm-hmm. to my house bare and they're always bare root. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Interesting. So okay, so you started out um you you put everything online. How did people find you? Uh word of mouth. Um uh-huh. and also I think I think three ways. I think um we've had some we've we've had we've we've been really fortunate in terms of getting some really nice like magazine and newspaper and um even some television coverage of the business uh-huh. and so yeah. because we are unique um you know yeah it's just it's interesting right so we, we were fortunate in that we're unique enough and in terms of the business itself and then also in terms of the fact that it's a woman-run farm and it's a woman-run wasabi farm mm-hmm. uh there there's even fewer of those in the world there's not very I don't know of any, and not saying that there aren't any, but I really don't know of any farm wasabi farms in Japan, uh, or even other areas of the world that are that are woman run. So it's, yeah. a, it's a very male dominant profession. So we've been, you know, we've had that uniqueness to us, and so we've gotten the coverage. And then people um, who want to buy wasabi, they go online and look for it, and they find us. And um, and and our uniqueness has, I think, helped us in that way, in, in that there's just not that many outlets for it. So people find us. Yeah, that makes sense because, um, here in Wisconsin, um, there's a part of our central part of our state where, um, we grow ginseng Mm -hmm. and ginseng is kind of a Wisconsin ginseng. I can't remember if it's yin or yang. It's one of them. Um, um, that, that is highly prized in Asia, right? So, so we have a big export industry here. I had somebody come to a, one of our boot camps who um, started selling his family's ginseng roots. He's like fifth generation ginseng grower um, uh, online and people would find them online, kind of a similar thing. It's, you know, it's not grown a lot. It's not, there aren't very many people doing it. There aren't very many people who are online selling it. Right. So people who really wanted to find it would find him. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like they really find you too. They do. And I think, um, we've been really lucky in that way. We, with, <clears throat> as the business grows, we're going to have to spend some time thinking about marketing, which isn't mm-hmm. something I've had to do up to this point. So isn't that's that crazy. That's going to be a very interesting. Yeah. Next step for us. Yeah. So talking about growing, the last time you and I talked, you were running out of capacity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are. One of our um, biggest challenges has been keeping up with the demand for fresh rhizomes. And, mm-hmm. and that's been a, an issue for a number of years. And I did a couple of things to kind of try to offset that. Uh, I developed some new products. That's where the, um, seasoning salts came into play. And then I also worked to figure out if there were ways to maximize the growing capacity of our current footprint. And after doing all of that and seeing the writing on the wall that, you know, we really just don't have enough product. Um, we, and actually seven years ago, we actually started the process of looking for a second location because we had maxed out our current property. Um, and we started the conversation and then we had a freeze event on the Oregon coast, uh, a really rare freeze event Mm -hmm. that took out all of our plants. And so that set us back a number of years. Yeah, it was interesting and probably, you know, in hindsight, probably good that we waited, but anyway, um, so about a year ago, um, I, I reinitiated that sort of search and conversations and found some property. And um, we signed a sale agreement back in May for, mm-hmm. the, for the property. But actually today, in a few hours later this afternoon, we're actually going to sign the closing papers Yay! Yeah, <laughs> it's been a long uh, seven-year journey, and you're we're here today. Isn't that awesome? It is awesome. It's awesome to be on the podcast with you because the um, boot camp was 
a really helpful process. Oh, and, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, it it helped me get clarity that I knew we needed to do this, but you know, with COVID, um, and also you know, and with well, COVID and also the just everything being sort of uh, uncertain <laughs> in terms of food and restaurants and what are we doing and um, the how are people eating and what are they going to want to eat? It was hard to really feel clear about making this leap of faith. And um, the boot camp really helped me work through some of those questions and, you know, decide that, yeah, even though it's COVID, now's the time. Now's the time to really do it. Yeah, no, it's an interesting thing, right? I think the, um, well, there's so many things about everything, but, but COVID, what it did, it made everybody, you know, you, you and everybody else was in that boat, right? Mm -hmm. About, holy cow, we don't know what's going on. Um, and it's hard then to, to, you know, see the forest through the trees and realize that at some point things are going to come back and you're still going to be out of capacity, right? right. Like, right. yeah, it's, it's going to happen. And, and then, uh, I mean, what ended up happening to your business during COVID? Well, we were super, super fortunate because we had started online sales um, you so know, back long in ago. The, yeah. So we yeah. had, so people knew who we were. Um, we had the infrastructure to be able to handle online sales. We also had the shipping infrastructure in place. So we were right. able to do all of that. And, um, and it, our business kind of balanced out, meaning we lost almost all of our wholesale sales because the, because of restaurants sure. shutting down. The only wholesale sales that we were really able to hold on to were rest, uh, excuse me, um, grocery stores. Um, yeah. and then a few food distributors actually, shifted to be make themselves available to um, purchasing direct from the public by the public and mm. so we kept some that you know we kept a little bit of that but um but people were cooking at home and um were you know bored <laughs> and so right right uh, experimenting exactly and people were interested in gardening and that helped too oh sure you know so people bought plant starts and people bought rhizomes and we um, during COVID, we wanted to do something. We couldn't figure out what what, pe- what we could do to help um, people, and so because you know, like donating a whole bunch of wasabi to a food bank isn't really gonna yeah, right. <laughs> That's probably not the best right. thing. Yeah. <laughs> so we decided we would start making videos for people and sort of like to help alleviate boredom or to help with people homeschooling or stuff like that. So we started nice. putting videos up, which ended up being really fun, and. Um, fun for us and also a fun way to sort of interact with our customers. And yeah, so we, you know, we, we ended up being okay, um, more okay than I, you know, at first, uh, probably like everyone, I was terrified. No, terrified, right? What does this mean for our business? Mm -hmm. And, um, and we're slowly, you know, with the, we're with the Delta variant now, things are still, a little shaky with the restaurants, but we're, we're starting to see more restaurants and more wholesalers come back online. Right. Well, and I, you know, making your own, like, I don't, I, cause I'm in the Midwest buying fish here is kind of a sketchy deal. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not like a really good sushi restaurant, who's having it flown in from the coast just to you, right. It's sort of, but, but, you know, like, like, um, California rolls that just have vegetables in them and stuff like that. Even I was playing around with stuff like that during COVID uh-huh. at home, right? Because mm-hmm. I couldn't go to a restaurant. So I, you know, maybe some of that'll stick for you too. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And then, like I said, we have the, we have the um, shelf stable stuff too. So people were, oh, sure. we were putting restaurant or excuse me, we were putting recipes online for using our seasoning salts and the cocktail mm-hmm. rim salt and, um, so people were experimenting with that stuff too. And, uh, we, we did a couple things of asking people for recipes that they were using and then sharing that information online and just trying to like, I don't know, just trying to get information out that people might find fun, um, in the midst of all of the struggle that we were all going through. Yeah. That's such a great idea. And did you, so, so do you have staff? We do right now we have, um, for almost five employees. Okay. Yeah. And it, it, 
were you doing all this, the, um, you know, the, the marketing stuff that you were just describing, or did you have somebody helping you with that? So I do have someone help me, uh, who has a much better grasp on social media than I do. Uh huh. Cause I'm horrible at social media and he's helped us a lot with, um, and that's been that the social media and a, at least monthly newsletter are mm-hmm. the way that we really connect with our customers. And, um, and so we, we have someone who help us, who help, who helps us with that. And mm-hmm. because we had the shift in the market and people were cooking from home and gardening and stuff like that, we were able to keep all of our employees employed and paid throughout COVID, which was, I was profoundly grateful for. Oh, we that's were, awesome. Yeah. And because we don't deal, there's no, um, there's no direct uh, we don't sell from the farm or anything like that. Um, and people were able to have a flexible schedule we could work out so that people could, you know, be work in isolation. They didn't have to. Yeah. We were, we're really lucky in that way. That's awesome. So people felt safe coming to work. Yeah. 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 And, and so you just mentioned it, it sounds like you don't, um, uh, you don't have the public on your farm. We don't, we don't. And the main reason is that we, well, there was COVID. So right. <laughs> there, there of course, right. But there then, was that, <laughs> but the, the main reason is just, we don't have the staffing set to be able to, you know, have to do tours or anything. Yeah. 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 No. And you always worried, worry about, um, you know, people getting hurt on the property or something if there aren't, if they're, yeah, you right. can't pay attention. So, and also, and, um, and also bringing pathogens onto the property yeah. that, you know, if they've come from another farm or even just come out from hiking or something, um, you know, we obviously unintentionally, but pathogens can be transported that way. So it's another way to just keep the plants safe. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So what are you, so, so you're closing on this property today. Um, are you, uh, talk, let's talk about like, what is this next phase of your business going to be like? Well, I wouldn't recommend that, um, everybody do it this way, but we, it's <laughs> <laughs> been a, just a crazy, crazy summer. Um, so we, we signed the sale agreement back in May and we right. are purchasing the property from the port of Tillamook Bay. Um, ah, and from been, the port. yeah, from the port, uh, they've been wonderful to work with. And because we, I had a gut, a gut feeling for no reason. I just had the gut feeling that the process was going to take a while to come to mm-hmm. the final paperwork. We, um, asked for and received permission from the port to begin the construction, um, because the property had, it was just an empty pasture. So we had to bring in water and electricity and, you know, do all the groundwork even before we built the greenhouses and everything. And, um, and then also with COVID, there've been such weird supply chains and supply chain interruptions. Oh, sure. You never yeah, know, like yeah. even getting conduit for the electrical lines or, or two by fours, you just didn't know, could I get it next yeah. week or three months from now? So we got permission to start the process and I literally finished construction last week. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, we would not recommend that. No. Building a property on something you don't own. No. <laughs> Usually no. it's not a great idea. No. But, huh. I would tell, I mean, something that several business advisors have, have helped me with over the years is to have, make sure that you have a really good understanding about your com- your risk comfort. Like, yeah. Because, right? Like business is a risk, but then there's variations in that and how, yep. right? Yeah. Degrees. Exactly. And I am actually a fairly risk averse person, which you wouldn't know from what I just told you. Yeah. I was going to say, this is not adding up. I no, don't know. It's not. So we basically, I extended ourselves, you know, I felt like I was on the like very edge of the high dive board. And I was like that I took it as far as I could. Um, and it, fortunately, you know, everything worked out. So, or it's going to, when I sign the papers, so I don't want to jinx anything that was going to work out when I signed mm-hmm. the papers today. Um, 
And it yeah, just, well, usually somebody would, when you're know, financing something like this, they would finance um, the, I don't know, the land purchase, and then maybe there's a construction loan. And then once the thing is built, you, you get a, you, you basically take out the construction loan and get a mortgage, right? Yeah, thing. so exactly. So the biggest challenge in doing it the way that we did it um, is that we still ha- don't have access to the construction loan. So we basically, so... Yeah, you would have had to f- pay the whole construction yourself. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what's, that's what's, we've had to finance it ourselves. And, um, and then we'll be able to, you know, we, like we... So we, when we, the first, when we broke ground on the first property and we started this whole thing, we didn't realize how undercapitalized we were. And it was a very hard process to get the first property up and running. And Mm -hmm. uh, I was determined to not have that level of stress this time around. So I made sure that I had a, uh, a 100% contingency. So I had that money saved (laughs) or identified, not all of it was in cash. And so, and that's really what allowed us to move forward prior to getting access to the construction loan. So when we sign the closing documents, that will trigger the construction loan availability. And then I'll be able to pay off credit cards and things like that. In the perfect world, I would not have done that, but, um, but then we would be behind you know, it, 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 I've been for the last four months, I've been doing construction. So, and we also, we would be behind more than four months because we also learned the hard way the first time around, we broke ground in January and, and, um, January on the Oregon coast is not necessarily prohibitively cold, but it can be prohibitively wet, like just torrential rain. And so, um, we, you know, we really would be behind probably eight months or so if we hadn't done that. I got it. So I don't know. It is. So you jumped off the cliff (laughs) and you did it and now you're closing and how much, how, how, like orders of magnitude, how much are you expanding? So we have uh, the original property is an acre and a half Mm -hmm. and this, this property is four acres. Okay, so quite substantially bigger. And are you going to yeah. keep the the um, original property as well? We are. Yeah, we are. Okay. For one thing, we need the production because it takes from oh, the time sure. of planting. Takes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes a couple year. Yeah, plus. Yeah, yeah. About a year and a half in order to mm-hmm. get a marketable sized rhizome. So we're definitely going to keep the original property, um, and. Yeah, it'll help pay the pay the bills and get the loan payments taken care of for the next couple of years. Of course, wow, yeah. So, uh, all right. So, so that means um, you're expanding quite a lot because you're keeping the old production too. Yeah. So what we yeah. did is, so we did the infrastructure on the new property, water and you know electricity and and um, some buildings for the water and electricity to house right. that stuff. And then we built four 3000 square foot greenhouses. And okay. so that's, um, and then, so we're hoping to be able to add the property can ha- handle somewhere between 16 and 18 of those greenhouses. We have nine greenhouses on the current property. Um, okay. and, um, we're hoping Boy, to that's add a lot of plants. It is a lot of plants. Yeah. Awesome. It's a lot of plants. It's a lot of wasabi. Yeah, it's I mean, a lot of wasabi. It is. You know, we're not like wheat. So when I say, you know, the first property yeah, is only an acre and a half, a lot of people's home properties are bigger than that, you know, but for right, wasabi, right. it's a lot of wasabi. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. And when, when businesses expand that much, then the next place, you know, the next concern is sales, but it sounds like you've, you're pretty confident about that. Yeah, I am. It doesn't mean that I'm not nervous about it, though. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I so uh, I I'm at this point. All of my energy has been focused on um, getting finding the property, finding the financing. Like over the last, I'd say, eighteen months, eighteen to twenty four months, I've really been focused on, you know, the 
should we expand all of that energy? And then where can we find the property and what finance, what does financing look like? And then in the summer, because of, because of COVID in a weird way, um, there's been so much construction, home construction that we actually had a hard time finding a crew. So I did a lot of the construction work myself. So oh my goodness. it's been, you know, so that, that has been the focus of my attention. And so, so now I'm, now I get to go back into the, now I built it. Now I have to sell it. Well, and you have a year, right? So yeah. Right. Cause it, it's going to take a while for your production to increase. So your yeah. saleable production anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to phase in greenhouses. I'm assuming new ones. So. Yes. Yes. You will. So tell me about the port. Like that's an interesting thing that the, you're buying that the, the, that it's the port that is doing this with you. Yeah. So the port of Tillamook Bay um, has a lot of property. I think, um, Unlike, so it is a functional industrial port, um, uh-huh. but uh, unlike other ports, uh, they, I think they have, they have more property than they use. And I think, I think that, and I, so I could be wrong about this, but I think that part of the reason why is that they were, the port location was a, a military installation for World War II. And so oh, there was a whole bunch okay. of property, um, purchased and identified for that purpose that, um, is not actually being utilized. And so, and it's, um, and, and Tillamook is also, a uh, it's a very agricultural area. So a lot of the property is, or was an agricultural use. So it's a lot of like flat pasture land. And we had originally, I had seven years ago, I had actually talked to the executive director at the port and we, we were going to lease land from them. And then, mm-hmm. um, you know, everything happened with the freeze. And when I went back to her, she said, sure, absolutely. We're still interested. And so we started talking about leasing and I happened to be on the port website because I was pulling together some information for our, um, our lender for USDA. Mm-hmm. And there was this little tab on the port website that said property for sale. And so I thought, well, <laughs> I should probably make sure I'm doing my due diligence because I don't want the lender to come back and be like, hey, why don't you, didn't why you know about you just this? buy it? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and, uh, and so anyway, saw some of this property up for sale and talked to the executive director and she said, yeah, I'm sure. We, I just, I, she said, I didn't realize you guys would be interested in buying some, but let's talk about that. And so it, the property I had, the property has been for sale for a really long time. Um, it's actually a small acreage. We only bought a portion of the larger property that's available that's for sale. Um, and I don't know. They've been they've been really great to work with. I think we had I spent um, a few. I presented to the board of commissioners, the port board of commissioners, a few times to let them know who we were and you know, what we would be doing and making sure that it was in alignment, um, with the port's mission. And, uh, the, the property is zoned industrial agriculture. So we were, we fit the zoning. And so right. that worked out really right. well as well. That's, that's great. Yeah. Cause I don't think, you know, it's not the first place you would go. Like I'm going to buy land for my, you know, farm. I'm going to go to the port. Right? No, <laughs> so. I know. I think we're, we're kind of a weird agricultural business all the way around. I think. Oh yeah. No, you're weird. Yeah. You're totally weird, but yeah. weird is good in the world of value added agriculture, man. And, and is USDA, USDA apparently considers you a farm, right? Sometimes USDA with weird crops, it's like, they don't like yeah. flowers. They don't consider you a farm. Yeah. No, USDA does. <clears throat> and, um, they have been our lender, um, for, they were our lender. So we were able to purchase the current farm property, um, back in like, I think it was like 2017. We leased the property for a few years. And then, um, and then once we, once we were established as a business and we had a track record, then we were able to, um, you know, go to the USDA and ask for a mortgage loan, which they did. Uh, sure. And then, um, 
you know, because we've had a good track record this time around when I went back to them and said, here's what I want to do. Uh, they, you know, we checked all the boxes and everything and it all made Mm -hmm. sense. So they're going to be our lender this time around for the mortgage and also for the, um, construction loan. And they were going to, uh, give us a construction loan if we leased property, but this is better, you know, it's easier all around and better all around. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, uh, wow. It's been such a wasabi wasabi journey, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, more to come, right? Like if we've, we've, uh, I don't know, covered a lot of ground. Have we missed anything? Not that I can think of. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to stay in touch. And I'm, I think I'm going to have to get a wasabi plant because of, I'm inspired by this conversation. I think it'd be very fun to have a wasabi plant. I think it would, I think you would enjoy it. So just, um, just email me your address. I'll send you one. I I will. I know where to get them. (laughs) Yeah, no, I know where to find you. Um, and, and, yeah, I have some house plants that are now trees that I got like 35 years ago. I'm that kind of a person. So, yeah. Have, then you'll yeah. yeah, your wasabi plant will be very happy. Oh, and actually, <laughs> I guess that is something I could I could tell people our website. Yeah, um, I do. We are uh the wasabistore.com. So, you can search for the wasabi store or you can search for Oregon Coast Wasabi. But our website address is actually www wasabistore.com. Perfect. Perfect. So for everybody out there like me, who's like, yeah, I think I'm going to grow a wasabi plant or, or salts or something. uh, We know where to go. Know where to go. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us today. Tara, thank you so much for having me on and thank you for including me in the bootcamp. Um, It really helped me out a lot. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.